This episode is brought to you by Tommy's Express Car Wash. Join the Tommy Club. You can download the Tommy Club app and enjoy endless washing for one low price, Derek. That means unlimited car washes, unlimited clean, shiny, and dry, unlimited use of exclusive app lane, which, by the way, I've taken advantage of. It's kind of like the the express lane on the highway. You don't necessarily like to lord over everybody else, but when you're zooming through and getting in to get your car washed first, like that's why it's called Tommy's Express, right? You get unlimited access to all their locations, unlimited guest service, and perhaps most importantly, unlimited happiness, Derek. And I think that's something that we just don't emphasize nearly enough in life. I'm looking at your car right now. I'm thinking it could maybe use a trip to Tommy's Express. What do you got going on later? Thinking maybe you should stop there on your way home. You going to at least consider it? I will absolutely be going to Tommy's Express Car Wash. Now, the, the outside of your car, the exterior, it does look okay. Where my concern begins is the interior of your car. Yeah. When you have I, a, I don't a think dog. You, I don't think the inside of that car has seen a deep cleaning in quite some time. No, when you have a dog, when you have a golden retriever, you got hair everywhere. And they have those vacuums that, you know, it's going to get out for you. So, yeah, I'm definitely making an appointment. Tommy's Express Car Wash. What I love about the, the vacuums at Tommy's Express, the cord comes down from the top. So, you're not having to try and wrap it around your car and getting yourself into a pretzel. No, very flexible vacuums. You want to go to the left side of the car, the right side of your car. You're perfectly good. Tommy's Express Car Wash. Wash, rinse, repeat. So it's going to be a weird show today. This is actually the last show of the week. No show tomorrow. Westwood won coverage all day for the first round of the tournament. Same thing on Saturday, Sunday, Monday. So we've got all your NCAA tournament action courtesy of Westwood One. And that actually begins coming up at 4 o'clock with the first four games. Four games starting at 4 o'clock. You can hear them all right here on KLWN, which means this is the last hour of RCST before the NCAA tournament begins, we're going to talk to Scott Chasen of Fog.net coming up here in about half an hour. But I'm going to get right into it because we've sort of danced around things and talked about you know different regions and KU as a whole. But I want to take a deep dive into KU's first round opponent. We're not going to do anything on USC. We don't even know who USC is going to play yet. So it seems like it would just be a wasted errand to sit here and break them down. Uh, we'll have that game on Monday. So... Maybe if KU does win on Saturday, then we'll do some sort of a podcast or depending on when that game is, we'll have a live show on Monday to sort of break it all down. But right now, I just want to talk about Eastern Washington, some things that stand out to me. I watched a a couple of their Big Sky Tournament games last night, kind of did a deep dive on some of the numbers, and, and here's what stands out. First things first, Tanner Groves. He's their big man down low. He's a big fella. He's a hungry boy, too, and they're going to feed him. He really likes to bang in the post. He looks like Bill Walton minus about three inches and add a couple inches to the waistline. He likes to bang down low. He likes to play physical. He's got the beard, the bushy hair, the headband. He likes to go to work down low, and it's been very effective. He is a super efficient and effective scorer at the rim. On the season, averages 16 points per game, eight rebounds, shoots, 56% from the field, but that doesn't tell the whole story. He wants to get most of his shots at the rim where he converts about 60% of them, but he also will step out and take two to three threes per game. And you really have to respect him from deep. He knocks down 33% of his long range jumpers. He 
takes 28% of Eastern Washington shots. And just to put that into perspective, David McCormick took 30% of KU's field goal attempts in the regular season, which is a really, really high number. So Tanner Groves isn't quite David McCormick in terms of how much they're going to him, but it's pretty darn close. He draws a ton of fouls and is a superb free throw shooter. He knocks down 78% on the season. And per game, he's taken about four or five free throw attempts per game. So they're going to go to him. They're going to look for him. And that is sort of the MO. Come down the court, look for Tanner Groves. If he has any sort of opening, they're throwing the ball down low and he's going to go and try and get two. That's where you start. That's where you start with them and what they do offensively. Defensively, Groves is an elite, an elite defensive rebounder. I gave you the numbers at eight per game, but when you look at just the pure defensive rebounding percentage, he grabs 27% of every defensive rebound when he's on the court. That ranks 27th in the country. So you're talking about an elite defensive rebounder. Uh, KU isn't really a team that thrives on the offensive glass. They're pretty good at it, uh, mostly because of David McCormick. With him being out there, I don't know if there's much you're going to be able to do about that. I don't think you replicate offensive rebounds unless you take a lot of threes, and KU's been sort of hit or miss in that regard just in terms of taking threes this year. So uh, not really something that I'm focusing on heading into this game. Second thing that stands out to me about the Eagles They've got shooters everywhere, and they're not afraid to let it fly. As a team, they rank 73rd in the country in three-point percentage. They shot 36% from three as a team. And they take quite a few. They rank 83rd in attempts. This isn't Baylor or Illinois where you're knocking down 40% of your threes. And it's not even a crazy, you know, mid-major team that takes and makes a lot. Like, you look at the the Liberties and the Oral Roberts of the world where they take a bunch of threes, they make a bunch of threes. They're not that, but they're certainly above average. Just a really, really solid shooting team. They've had games where they take 30-plus attempts, but most of those have come in losing efforts. Like, they had a close loss in non-com play to Arizona. They went actually 19 of 43 in one game, but they lost that game to Southern Utah. So, yeah, they're going to take, you know, 20 plus threes per game. That's going to be pretty consistent somewhere in the 20 to 25 range. But I wouldn't expect them to go crazy unless they've got a uh, some sort of an inkling that that's going to be the only way that they can beat Kansas. So they're going to take an they're going to take a lot. But um, as we've seen, you know, early in the season, that was such a big storyline with this Kansas defense. That's sort of went by the wayside as we've seen some regression with the uh, the numbers that opposing teams have been putting up from deep. But this is a team that's certainly capable of getting hot. And they do it by committee, too. They've got 10 guys who are in the rotation. They've got 10 guys who play about 10 minutes per game or more. Of those 10 guys, nine of them take more than one three-point attempt per game. They don't really have anybody who's, you know, Svi Mikhailuk taking six or seven threes a game. But it's just a part of their M.O. that everybody's going to shoot. I mean, if you want to make life easy on the big fella, Tanner Groves, who's going to take most of your shots or more shots than anybody else, what do you need to do? Spread the floor around him. And Eastern Washington knows that, and they do it very well. You look at some of these guys and their numbers. Jack Perry, he's their point guard. He's the guy who brings the ball up the court for him. 
uh, little Australian kid, a white Australian kid with a blonde mullet. He shoots about 50% from three on about two and a half attempts per game. Uh, they're power forward, so to speak. Uh, Kim Aiken, he's their second best scorer, 32% on almost five attempts per game. Jacob Davison, he's the guy we talked about earlier in the week who was the leading scorer in the conference last year. He was the unanimous pick to be the conference player of the year this year after averaging 18 a game. Now he comes off the bench for them, but he still takes four three-point attempts per game, knocks down 36% of them. Tyler Robertson takes four attempts per game. He knocks down 48% of them. Michael Meadows, 38% on two attempts per game. Uh, there's a guy named Steel Venters who shoots 41% on two attempts per game. So they've got shooters everywhere, and nobody's going to really do all the lifting by themselves. They're just going to spread the floor, and they try and find shooters. They're going to put four guys on the perimeter and sort of let the big boy Tanner Groves go to work down low. But again, like I said earlier, like he's going to take two or three threes per game as well. So at all times, they've got five shooters on the court. And I almost wonder how, if, if that could be, you know, Groves doesn't want to live on the perimeter, but he can. And I wonder if KU were completely healthy, how much they would try and take advantage of David McCormick by, you know, pulling him to the perimeter. I think they're going to go down low to Groves no matter what, but it's just sort of an interesting storyline now that KU has David McCormick. You don't know exactly how much he's going to play. I don't think he's going to play more than 10, maybe 15 minutes in this one. I could be totally off, but coming back from COVID, I just, I don't know how ready he's going to be from a conditioning standpoint. And if that is the case, whether it's Mitch or Tyon Grant Foster, who Bilsov said yesterday is going to play on Saturday, maybe you've got just a little bit more versatility defensively with how you can defend Eastern Washington. Third thing that stands out to me about this team is they want to play fast. They played this season at the 28th fastest tempo in the country. And among tournament teams, only Gonzaga, Alabama, Winthrop, North Carolina, and Oklahoma State played at a faster tempo on offense. About 15 seconds came off the clock on average. It's not that they're super quick. Or athletic, like when you think fast tempo, you think of a team that's pushing the ball down the court. Maybe you've got a speedy point guard, great ball movement, getting easy angles and, and easy lanes or, or jacking up a bunch of threes. It's not really that. They're just very deliberate with their actions. They're going to come down the floor and they're going to look for Groves posting up on every possession. That's going to be the first thing they're going to do on every possession. He's going to go down low, put his button to somebody and stick his hand in the air. If it's there, they're going to throw it to him. If not, they'll usually do one of two things. The first thing is a drive and a floater from Michael Meadows. And he's, him and Perry both kind of play point guard. He seems to be more of, uh, I guess you would say, the natural point. Like, you don't really see Perry getting downhill and creating for others. I don't really see much of that to begin with. Like, I don't see, like, a guy who's just there to create. But Meadows is the guy late in the shot clock who will just sort of put his head down. And he won't usually drive to the rim. He's usually pulling up for these little 10-foot floaters. He did that a lot in the Big Sky Championship game versus Montana State. I probably saw him drive into the lane late in the shot clock and put up that 10 to 15-foot floater five or six times. And he hit it at a pretty solid rate. Now, that was against Montana State. Might be a little bit different if you got Ochai Baji or Marcus Garrett guarding you. But that's sort of their 
bailout offense is let's just give the ball to this guy. If Groves can't get a look, we don't have an open three, but that's the other part of it. If you can't get a look from Groves down low, if Meadows isn't going to drive downhill and put up that little floater, someone's taking a three, right? Like I said, they're going to take a lot of threes, not crazy amount, but they're certainly comfortable doing it. And when you got four or five shooters on the court at all times, generally speaking, you're going to be able to find at least a decent look from deep. They want to get a shot off in the first 10 to 12 seconds of the clock if they can help it. This is not a team who is going to be holding the ball and running clock and, and being super patient with their offense. This is not Wisconsin. This is not Virginia. They are looking to get down and get the best look they can as quickly as possible. I, I really think, even though it's the third thing I mentioned, this is what I'm most interested in seeing how it plays out on Saturday. I think tempo is going to be one of the biggest factors in this game. Because like I said, Eastern Washington does not have a go-get-you-a-bucket guy. Their best option is Meadows, who I'm looking at his numbers right now. I don't know what he uh, what he stands at. 6'2", 175. He's not a big guy. Like, that's your best option is, is a little floater, which is not a high-percentage shot, especially when you're taking them from where he's taking them from. They don't have big, long athletes who can put the ball on the floor. They don't have super quick guys. They don't have even big... Like Their big guys are girthy. They're short and girthy. Like, not what you would expect. It's not Evan Mobley, okay? So if Kansas can consistently get them into late shot clock situations, I think they're really going to like how this game plays out. Because they don't have anybody who's going to beat you off the dribble. They don't have anybody who's going to punish you late. If you can stop their first action, which is Groves, you can kind of disrupt their timing and what they want to do offensively. I haven't even mentioned them defensively, and that is deliberate. Uh, Nothing really stands out about them on that end of the court. They're not long. They're not athletic. They don't block shots. They don't force turnovers. They don't steal the ball. And they don't get typical transition opportunities. I say typical because they try to run transition off a missed shot. And again, not because they're running ahead of everybody. They are just pushing the pace. They're not walking the ball up the court. They're getting the ball in the hands of Meadows or Perry, and they're trying to run up the court because, like I said, they want to get quick shots. That's how they try and take advantage of you. If they can't beat you athletically or with quickness, they're just going to make you be locked in defensively, right? They're going to make sure that if you're not getting back, they're going to try and get numbers and get points. That's easy to do. In the big sky. I don't think it's going to be easy to do against Kansas. I can't, like, that's, i.e. tempo, Kansas needs to get back on defense. And with Bill Self as your coach and the identity that they've established for themselves over the last month and a half of this season, I don't think that's going to be a big issue. They do have a solid field goal percentage defense. They rank 60th nationally. But I, I just don't think that's going to be enough, even against an average offensive team like Kansas. Like when we call Kansas average offensively, and they rank 58th nationally in uh, adjusted offensive efficiency, that's because we're thinking about power six teams. Against a big sky team, you got to do more than just play sound defense because when push comes to shove, KU needs a bucket, KU needs to go get something. It ain't going to be going up against even, you know, TCU, K-State type defenders. Like, these guys just, I just, I'm not sure they, they possess the quickness. Like, that's the first thing that stood out to me in a negative. 
to Eastern Washington is, wow, they don't have any athletes. Like, there's nobody that you say, okay, that guy's quick. This guy kind of does some things athletic. There's nothing. There is nothing that stands out to you. I know there's plenty of ways to win basketball games, but it helps to have some athletes, and Eastern Washington doesn't have any. So, honestly, the guy I'm expecting to have a big game shouldn't come as much of a surprise. It's Marcus Garrett. He's going to have the ball in his hands a lot, and against the defense that doesn't really do much to disrupt you, I kind of feel like this is a guy who's going to be able to get to his spots, get downhill, and and sort of impose his will athletically. You know, what did we just say? They don't block shots. They don't force turnovers. They don't have great athletes. To me, that sounds like Marcus Garrett's going to have driving lanes all day. His biggest issue this year when trying to drive and score downhill is that unlike last season when you had Yudoka Azabuki, those driving lanes are cut off when opposing big men leave Dave down low to help on those drives. I'm not sure that's going to be the case on Saturday. You know, the, their big guy, Tanner Groves, he's going to try to help. He's 6'9", two, he's listed at 235, probably closer to 240, 245. He's a big, girthy fella. Not quick, not long, not athletic. I'll take Marcus's chances of finishing over that kind of size. I'm going to be honest with you. I think even if KU's shorthanded, you're not going to have Jalen. Even if Dave isn't you know, his full self, if you only get 10, 15 minutes from him, and if they're not quality minutes, you're not going to have Tristan. Even if you have to play Tyon Grant Foster, who has not played in five games, I just think KU's athleticism is going to be too much for Eastern Washington to handle. Uh, you can't let Groves get loose and score 25 points against you. You can't let this team take 25-33s because they're going to hit shots. They've got good shooters. But if you can get physical with them and just sort of push the effort with your athleticism and try to get out and, and score over them, I think you're going to have success doing that. I know the Lions at 11. I'm taking KU. I'm taking KU. I could see this being a 20-point game. We'll see if Scott Chasen of Fog.net agrees. He's going to join me uh, coming up here in about 10 minutes or so. Someone who's looking to bust out of a little scoring slump on Saturday is Christian Brown. He spoke to the media yesterday live from Indianapolis. We'll play that audio coming up next. Christian Brown could really use a big game offensively. He has been very quiet as of late, and I think Eastern Washington may be the slump buster that he's looking for. He had zero points against Oklahoma in 28 minutes. He had six points in 29 minutes against UTEP. Uh, I'm looking at 0 for 3, 0 for 1, 0 for 3 from 3 in his last three games. Went 2 of 4 against Texas, went 2 of 10 against Texas Tech. I'd rather you go 2 of 10 than go 0 of 3 like you did against Oklahoma. This is the type of game that Christian Brown should thrive in. Christian Brown would be the conference player of the year for four years in a row if he played for Eastern Washington. He doesn't play for Eastern Washington, but he's playing against them. He's in Indianapolis playing in his first NCAA tournament game on Saturday, just like a freshman. This is all new for Christian Brown as well. He talked about this experience and what to expect on Saturday when he spoke to the media yesterday. All right, guys, fire away. Hey, Christian, can you just talk about what life is like in the bubble? Um, I heard some guys from Eastern Washington yesterday talking about maybe food being different and everything just being different. So what's it been like for you guys in the bubble so far? Uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely been different. Um, you know, it's just a different lifestyle for us on the way to adjust to. Um, and I think the, you know, the Big 12 tournament was a good uh, warm up, you know, for this, um, you know, this type of thing. You know, we've been practicing in the bubble. Um, you know, I mean, it, it's more of the same, but uh, like you said, it's a little, little different with food when, you know, when we are quarantined for a little bit. 
Um, but like I said, we had a good warm up uh, a couple of days the, the Big 12 tournament for this. You think the team's ready for Saturday? Uh, yeah, I think I think we're getting ready. I think uh, you know we still got a couple of days that we got to you know get some um, get some stuff ready. We got to prepare for them. Um, but but I know we're all excited and we're ready for the game for sure. Christian, what's it like in the Brown household, especially with your brother playing for Mizzou, them having to drive over to Indianapolis? What's the conversations been like with the family trying to follow you and your brother along in Indy? Um, it's been it's been hectic, you know. Uh, just uh, like you said, uh, everybody's here. You know, my whole family's coming. Um, he's staying at the hotel right next to us. Um, you know, we don't get to see each other, but uh, but it's awesome. You know that he he gets to play. Um, you know, and I get to play. And, you know, my parents get to come and watch. Um, so we're we're really excited. You know, for both of our first NCAA tournaments, um, uh, we just you know can't wait to play. Were they pretty excited that uh, you guys are playing at different times so and they were able to watch both? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and my high, I had a little brother still playing high school basketball, too, or was still playing high school basketball. You know, so it's been a crazy month for them. Um, and then now they actually get to watch both of us play, uh, so they're pretty excited. Yeah. Are they bringing you anything up in a care package or anything, any goodies with them when they come to visit? Uh, no, not that I know of. Uh, they're not bringing me anything, um, but you know they treat me pretty well when I'm at home, so I won't complain. Christian, I don't know how much you can comment on it, but do you do you know if you guys will have a full team, or um, have you heard kind of how it's going to all play out on Saturday? I think Coach uh, is going to be next, so he'll give you guys more of an update on that. Um, but I know the team that, that, that we got is really excited to, you know, play the first game. And like I said, we're all really juiced up. You know, this is a lot of our, our first tournaments, um, so we're excited for the first game. I wonder what are your expectations? Being being that this is your first your first NCAA tournament, what are your expectations about the experience? Um, uh, my expectations about the experience, you know, coming here, we knew it was going to be different, uh, like we already talked about. Uh, we knew there was going to be different challenges this year. Um, but like I said, we're excited um, and we didn't come here to lose. So so no matter what, we're going to come out there and, you know, play our heart out um, and just leave it on the floor. Hey, Christian, what have you seen from uh, Eastern Washington? Anything uh, specific? Uh, we haven't we haven't started watching their film, but we talked a little about uh, a little bit about their players. You know, they got a big guy that's really talented. Uh, was a player of the year in their conference. Um, and they got a lot of guys that could shoot the ball. Um, so, like I said, we haven't started watching their film yet, uh, but we will soon. Um, we just know a little bit about their, you know, personnel. Right. And just to follow up, how how have you seen your play uh, transform from the start of the season to now? Um, I think I think uh, you know towards the end of the season, uh, not just me but the team. I think we really turned it up defensively. Um, you know, we've won like eight of our last nine or whatever it was, um, and I think that's a lot to do with our defense. Um, just as a team, we switched a couple of things, um, but as a team, I think. Uh, we've turned up the defensive side, and I think personally, I think I've, I've definitely uh, been more locked in defensively. Uh, I haven't tried the ball as well, um, but but what we've been doing has been translating to winning, um, and that's really all I'm, I'm concerned about. Hey, Christian, uh, Coach Self said recently that January was the closest he's come to losing a team, not from a bad attitude standpoint, but just from a defeated standpoint. I wonder, just from a player's perspective, what's your reaction to that quote, and just how close did you guys get to just having a your season kind of lost just from a you know a defeated type standpoint or mentality uh yeah we coaches told us that to us too um but you know as a team we knew we knew you know we went through that tough stretch uh we had we had a couple losses um but we knew as a team we had turned it around um and we did we made a great turnaround we won uh you know like i say eight of our last nine or whatever it was um and then we really we really blew that that last that the game that we lost um but yeah like you said we we were at we had a, a you know a little slump there 
uh, we turn it around. You know, we're a three seed and we're just looking forward um, and excited for our, our, our next opportunity. That is Christian Brown. That player audio brought to you by CycleZone. Of course, CycleZone has all your dirt bike and four-wheeler needs, but did you know they also sell Sea-Doo's, Tracker Boats, and Yamaha Wave Runners? They've been selling watercraft for nearly a decade, and they recently added a second showroom for the new selections. Whether you need speed boats, fishing boats, or a pontoon for that relaxing day on the lake for your family, or even just yourself, a beer, and your fishing pole. Don't you deserve to feel that lake breeze after the year we've had? CycleZone Power Sports can make that happen. Check them out at CycleZone.com or stop by the dealership on Highway 24 in North Topeka. Let's hear from Scott Chase and Fog.net coming up next. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. The first four are going to start coming up here in about 20 minutes. I guess that's officially the beginning of the NCAA tournament. we got a little less than 48 hours before Kansas will take the court on Saturday against Eastern Washington. Let's talk about it. Scott Chasen of Fog.net joins us now on the show. Scott, down the stretch of the regular season, the Hawks sort of found their MO, their identity, defensively looking like one of the elite defenses in the country. But now that we know that you're going to be, at the very least, without Jalen Wilson, without Tristan and Aruna, and we'll see what you're going to get from David McCormick if he's able to take the court on Saturday... Do you still view Kansas entering the NCAA tournament with one of the best defenses in the country, or do you have to pull the reins back on that a bit? Well, I think we'll find out actually a lot come, you know, this first game on Saturday. Uh, I've been going over the film of Eastern Washington. I watched a couple of their games at the Big Sky Tournament for a a breakdown I put out uh, just a little bit ago. Um, And the thing I noticed with them is they run really creative action to get open three-point shots. They have big men, several who can pop. They play multiple bigs together, even guys who are maybe listed six, seven or something like that, but they, they play like traditional big men. And I think they'll test Kansas in a way um, that'll probably only prepare the Jayhawks for the test, you know, for the upcoming test. Tanner Groves, their best player. He's not Evan Mobley. He's not Luca Garza, but he is a really creative, crafty scorer. Actually, reminds me a, a ton of Diedrich Lawson with how creative he is at getting angles, how good a passer he is. Uh, if you try to double team him, he's great at throwing the high low to his brother, uh, who's also on the team. He's great at uh, you know finding guys. So this is a smart team. This is a team with some veteran guards that know, hey, if you go under a ball screen, we're going to pull up and hit a three in your face. Um, I think it's a really interesting challenge for Kansas to where we're going to find out very quickly uh, defensively how good this Kansas team is. Uh, I got to say, I I understand why Eastern Washington is not um, maybe quote unquote, a better team or a better opponent or why some people think, you know, Kansas is going to roll them, um, especially because I think Kansas athletically uh, should be able to handle Eastern Washington in a way that a lot of, you know, big sky opponents weren't able to, but you know, this isn't a game Kansas can take for granted on that end. And I, I am really curious to see what that looks like. You mentioned Tanner Groves, who was conference player of the year, and he's only six, nine, 235, you watch the film, like he kind of likes to bang, you know? He's a, mm-hmm. he's a physical big man down low, which would have lent itself perfectly for a matchup with David McCormick. Now that he's not going to be out there, what are you expecting Kansas to do defensively against this guy who you know Eastern Washington's going to try and run a lot of offense through? Yeah, I mean, look, uh, I just compared him to Diedrich Lawson, and I actually think, you know, Kansas has to treat him in a way that opponents treated Diedrich Lawson, which is 
Um, if you don't have a guy with the size to bother him, which that was one way to, to be effective against Diedrich, right? Stick a huge guy in the middle uh, and make him work for everything. Well, Kansas may not have that with David McCormick. Also, just as an aside, he's listed at 235. Uh, I, I would bet a significant amount of money. He weighs a lot more. Than I would too. I would too. That is, that is not a 235 pound man uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Or I guess if that's the case, then I weigh about 45 pounds. So, um, yeah. But look, I mean, Mitch Lightfoot won't have a strength advantage over him, and they love to post him. They're, they're so good at running action um, at a horns, double high post, two guys on the elbows uh, to get him established the post position, and then also running misdirection to where it's really, really hard to help with the guards uh, because there might be one guard coming off two screens set by another guard. And that's just kind of nonsense to, to make sure no one's helping in the paint. So for Mitch Lightfoot, it's you're going to give up some baskets inside. He's going to score over you a few times, but what you can't give up are, are what happened early in the big sky championship game where Grove catches it on the right wing. The guy, you know, kind of hesitates. What do I do? He can shoot. Do I play close? Do I play back? Uh, and Groves takes two dribbles, gets into the paint, finishes on the other side of the rim. You know, those quickness type plays, Mitch Lightfoot, has to play to his quickness in that matchup. And the same goes uh, for any backup big KU puts in the game. Now, uh, again, I, I think quickness can be a huge advantage for Kansas. Uh, you know, I, I really do like the Eastern Washington roster, but one thing it does is it has a lot of traditional forwards. And I would say, you know, not only, not only Groves Aiken, they're kind of do it all big man. He's, he kind of plays like Mark Vital a little bit. And he's, he's like a super competitive guy. I mean, I found some quotes from last year uh, where he was complaining about the conference defensive player of the year award and basically cut like a WWF style promo <laughs> saying like, Oh, I would lock up this guy. And this guy can't guard me about the guy who won the award. So, I mean, he, he's an Uber competitor, but again, he, he doesn't have the quickness either um, that KU should have with, you know, some of its smaller lineups. So yeah, I mean, for Mitch Lightfoot, you're going to get scored on. Uh, that's going to happen, but you can't be out quick uh, in this matchup. You can't let the other team, I guess, be more crafty than you. Um, so from that perspective, it'll be really important for KU to be assignment sound because I envision this being a matchup where Bill Self doesn't want to have to uh, overhelp uh, whenever, you know, Groves gets the ball. Ideally, you'd live with giving up a few baskets if, if that takes away some of their three-point shooting. Do you expect David McCormick to play much on Saturday? Like, what do you envision his role looking like in his first game back? Well, I think the ideal would be him not having to play a ton. But, you know, again, I, I don't know how much Kansas can lean on guys, uh, you know, like Christian Brown at the five, unless, unless obviously you get Groves into foul trouble, or maybe Marcus Garrett uh, can do what Marcus Garrett does so well and, and, you know, find a way to shut the guy down. But, you know, I, I think in a perfect world, he wouldn't have to. But I don't envision a scenario where Kansas is, um, or maybe maybe I could envision this, I guess, as I kind of talk through and think through it on air. I, I think David McCormick's going to play, and if he looks at all good, I think he has extreme value in the game. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to play 20, 25 minutes. Um, I think 24-ish is maybe his average. But, you know, I, I certainly envision at least them giving – uh, David McCormick a chance unless Mitch Lightfoot is just absolutely shutting down, um, you know, Groves on the inside, or maybe he's in foul trouble and the KU defense is playing really well. Um, I think it's important to get McCormick live game reps to see where he is. 
because you're going to need him if you advance and play Evan Mobley uh, or even a week later against Luca Garza or Gonzaga or whatever. So um, I think from that perspective, he'll play, but I, I don't expect him to play a ton just because it, it is really hard. Um, you know, everyone's COVID experience is different. Nick, you and I can both speak to that, uh, but it, it, just not playing basketball, not practicing, you know, that disrupts your rhythm. And we saw that it took David McCormick about a half to get into it against UTEP when, you know, he hadn't practiced the week before uh, because he was recovering some from, you know, some kind of a minor injury. So um, even then it took him a little bit to get into the flow of the game. Uh, I can't imagine what it's probably been like for him the last week and a half. So uh, I, I do envision some challenges there. Yeah, I do too. I think it's an impossible question to answer because truly nobody knows. But the reason why I ask it is because if you don't have him and you spoke to this, you know, with the sort of the scout on Eastern Washington's offense, you don't just plug somebody else in. You can try with Mitch Lightfoot, but even doing so, you're changing the way that you can play. And I wonder if it, we're kind of in agreement that maybe I wouldn't get too far ahead of yourself with what to expect in, in David McCormick's first game back from COVID. What do you ultimately think will be the prevailing sort of style of play that Kansas will end up going with? Because you have a couple of options by either plugging Mitch in or effectively saying, nope, we're just going to play small. We are more athletic than them, and we're going to try and use that to our advantage. Yeah, I think it's it, it doesn't have to be one or the other, in my opinion, because I think Mitch Lightfoot can be uh, more athletic than Tanner Groves. And, you know, I, I just think it, it really comes down to being really three things. One, quickness. Two, athleticism. And you can say they're the same. Uh, and three, being assignment sound. Just because like Eastern Washington is a really smart team. Eastern Washington has some good players, has some crafty and creative scores, has some guards that can shoot the ball that can punish you if you go under a screen. And that doesn't guarantee they're going to make all of them. Um, you know, they had a bunch of guys shoot like 31 or 32% from three. Okay. Well, that tells you they're not automatic shooters, but you know, I think back to the game against Tennessee when Tennessee had a bunch of guys shooting 31, 32, 33% from three, and all of a sudden, you know, they're getting some open looks and then they go off. And that's not to say, you know, there wasn't some luck involved, but that Kansas put itself in a situation where that luck was allowed to take place as compared to, you know, shutting down shooters on the outside and taking away those looks. So, you know, I, I think those are kind of the three factors that I see in this first game. Is Kansas clearly the more athletic team? Well, that should bode very well for Kansas. Eastern Washington hasn't seen athletes like Kansas, uh, even when it's played some of the good teams that it's played this year. Okay, number two, is Kansas the like a demonstrably quicker team? Well, that's going to be important because, you know, as we talked about, Tanner Groves is going to have a size advantage uh, and a strength advantage on Mitch Lightfoot. Again, I am stunned they list him at 235 pounds. I have no <laughs> idea when. I mean, this man probably weighed 235 pounds in eighth grade. He looks, I mean, he, he, he looks at least 20 pounds bigger than that. I mean, and I don't, he's yeah. just a big, girthy dude. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say he necessarily looks bigger than David McCormick, but if you told me he weighed more than David McCormick, I'd be like, yeah, okay. Like, I can <laughs> totally see that. Okay, and then finally, again, just being assignment sound. You know, we've seen the KU defense look pretty good at times, but, you know, will Christian Brown, you know, can he avoid the, those mistakes where you fall asleep and, and let a guy open, um, especially for the guards? You know, Marcus Garrett he's not going to have an issue with ball screens. I don't think he'll get caught going under a ball screen uh, or whatever, or, you know, depending on who he's guarding, but you know, what about Bryce Thompson? What about the freshman when, you know, a mistake or two can, 
you know, make a guy see a really big basket if he starts hitting. What about DeWan Harris, who at times has been terrific defensively, but at other times has allowed guys to shoot over him uh, because he's not playing aggressively enough. And you can shoot over him if he isn't a hundred percent locked in just because he's so small. You know, what about those kinds of guys on the wing? What about Tyron Grant Foster? Uh, if he gets a chance to play, you know, uh, so for the regulars, it's really important to be assignment sound, but you would expect that out of Marcus Garrett and Ochai Abaji. It comes down to everyone else. Can you do your job, you know, play defense the way you're supposed to, um, and at the same time provide help in the post when you're able to uh, without surrendering, surrendering too much on the outside? You know, it's, it's kind of cliche to sh- uh, say this, but, you know, Eastern Washington doesn't have a shot if they don't make three-point shots. Like, they're not going to win the game because Groves goes for 50 mm-hmm. points against Mitch Lightfoot. Like, that's not going to win them the game. So for Kansas, can you do enough to take them away? Um, and, and if not, can you get bailed out by a few misses? How surprised would you be if we're sitting there with five minutes left in the game and this is a one- or two-possession game? Not super surprised. I would laugh at myself because I just packed for Indianapolis. And it's really hard to pack to go into the bubble. It's not really a bubble. I'm staying at a hotel. But, uh, like, you don't know how long you're going to be there. So I ultimately decided on packing for the midway point and figuring that I would do laundry. But I think it would actually be kind of funny if I packed for, like, 14 days of clothing uh, and then Kansas gets bounced immediately. (laughs) (laughs) That being said, um, yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if it's a a close game. Uh, You know, I I do expect Kansas to win. I know Joe Lenardi said he expects Kansas to, like, um, you know, I'm not quoting him, but, uh, the equivalent of like, what's that cartoon when the Roadrunner like drops a piano on the coyote, like he expects Kansas to do mm-hmm. that to Eastern Washington in this game. Uh, I don't know that I necessarily expect that, but look, Kansas is demonstrably more athletic and quicker and faster. Um, and, and at most positions, probably stronger than Eastern Washington. And I do think there's a decent chance that, you know, all of this scout work and everything you put in, uh, you know, when you see the guys on the court together, it's like, Oh yeah, no, like one of these is a, you know, a power five college basketball team uh, that, that is going to dominate this matchup just from that perspective of things. Um, You know, it's not always the way it plays out. It wouldn't shock me um, if it really went in either direction, except, it would shock me if Eastern Washington won this game. You know, I, Kansas is good enough to win this game. Kansas should win this game. Good enough to win this game comfortably. I mean, I, it would really surprise me if Kansas did get upset here. It just wouldn't shock me if it were like a, a five, ten-point game with, you know, just a few minutes to go. We've, we've focused a lot on KU's defense versus Eastern Washington's offense because KU's got an elite defense and Eastern Washington's strengths come offensively. The other end of the court, there's a little bit more uncertainty just because both teams are worse on that end. With David McCormick out, with Jalen Wilson out, how do you expect this Kansas offense to look? Who are going to be? I mean, I, we know the names because there's so few of them, but just what do you expect the sort of game plan to be and, and how they're going to run this offense without two of your probably top three most effective and consistent scores? Well, if I were Kansas, I would want to attack Groves inside, and I think that's probably where not having David McCormick hurts most. Um, because when you get him in foul trouble, I mean, it totally takes a huge element away from them. Now, then they can space it out and go with more, you know, traditional shooters and everything. Um, but Kansas should have the advantage on the inside. You know, their their best defender, uh, Aiken, is 
he is a good defender. And, and again, I, I kind of compare him to Mark Vidal, not because he's as good as Mark Vidal, but because that's the role he plays. He's allowed to sort of roam the paint and, um, you know, just kind of be disruptive defensively. I don't necessarily know that Kansas has a bunch of players available other than, you know, maybe like Marcus Garrett, who are just going to be, you know, head down driving like crazy in the traffic because, you know, that's what Jalen Wilson has done, right? He's put his head down and mixed it up on the inside. That's what David McCormick has done. You throw it to him on the block and, you know, you're not getting it back. He's going to go to work and, and try and score inside. So um, I think Kansas has to find some different ways to score just because um, I think the one advantage that Eastern Washington would hope uh, that Kansas would play to or I guess the advantage for Eastern Washington would be, you know, just attacking off the bounce where they can help off a non-shooter. They're very good at that is, you know, basically saying you don't make threes. Okay. I'm going to help off you and, and just stay in the lane. In fact, you know, I've seen them put Aiken on the other teams, you know, one of their uh, worst players and, and let him roam around. So um, that tells me three point shooting is going to be really important. Um, and not just three point shooting from KU's best shooters, uh, but from guys like Marcus Garrett when open, just taking them, even if he's not making them. Um, I do think Kansas can get Eastern Washington into foul trouble just because uh, they'll have athletes and, and the types of bodies that Eastern Washington isn't necessarily used to seeing. And then, you know, I, I think just converting opportunities around the rim, especially uh, when you're matched up with someone who isn't a great post defender or rim protector, I think uh, those are all really important for Kansas, but yeah, I mean, in terms of players, uh, you know, it's right. You, you could ask, like, well, who picks up the scoring? But, you know, it's like four guys, right? You know, it's mm-hmm. it's got to be Ochai. It's got to be Christian Brown. He can't have a passive game. It's got to be Marcus Garrett. Maybe it's got to be Mitch Lightfoot to an extent. And, you know, maybe sprinkle in a little bit of Bryce Thompson. But, you know, I, I don't know that you're necessarily expecting Tyon Grant Foster to go off for 25 points. It's great if he gives you a boost, but uh, it's really hard to expect anything like that at this point. There's part of me that wonders about Bryce Thompson, not necessarily being a guy who goes off for, you know, 15 points or whatever, but he's been a guy who's obviously had the trust of Bill Self all year long because I think he plays with a level of intensity that sometimes you don't see from freshmen. We always hear the phrase, they're thinking instead of playing. Bryce Thompson doesn't seem like he's a thinker out there. It seems like he just kind of lets it happen, which, you know, provides good and bad, but there's a reason why he's had a longer leash than I think a lot of guys in his position that we've seen under Bill Self. And there's part of me that just wonders, what's that going to look like in the NCAA tournament? Is this going to be a guy who's maybe a little bit more immune to the normal nerves or tightness that would come from playing this time of year for the first time? Yeah, I think so. Um, The comparison I draw, even though they're totally, totally different players, uh, would be Connor Frankham, who played some of his best ball in games. He had no business playing some of his best ball in. And yeah, I think that will be something for Bryce Thompson. You know, I, I would expect any mid-major Eastern Washington certainly falls into this category to play with a complete free mind in the tournament. And that's why sometimes they play so much better than their seed is because it's, it's all house money. You know, what do they have? What does Eastern Washington have to lose? Eastern Washington's playing Kansas. Like if they lose, okay. Yeah. Everyone expected you to, if you win, wow, that's amazing. They're going to show your highlights on sports center and everyone's going to talk about you and you're going to be, you know, like it's, it's a huge deal. And I think for Bryce Thompson, it's almost a similar thing from the perspective of the guy plays like he has nothing to lose. He takes shots uh, for better or worse. Like he's not afraid of coming out of the game. And I think that's really, really important. Um, you know, yeah, as his skill set develops, that will make him an incredibly dangerous player. And for now, it makes him an incredibly valuable one. It makes him a, a mentally strong guy who you don't have to worry about, you know, missing a couple of shots and that taking him out of 
of the game. You know, even a guy like Christian Brown to an extent has struggled with that where he misses a couple shots and then it's, it's sort of a disappearing act for, for long stretches until maybe he comes up with a big clutch play for Bryce Thompson. You notice him on the court. And I actually heard something you said. I uh, might've been yesterday. might've been another day. Uh-oh. I thought I thought it was really smart. No, okay. No, no, okay. Really okay. Smart. Great. I can't wait. Well, you said that, you know, when Tristan and Aruna's on the court, there are so many times where you just don't notice him or, or maybe you realize he's out there because you make note of it. Um, but then, you know, he doesn't really do anything to, to make you think about him or, or to make you focus on what he's doing. And I, I find it to be the opposite with Bryce Thompson, mm-hmm. that when he's out there, you notice him um, usually just because he's playing so hard and being so active and demanding the ball uh, or just taking a, a you know, a, a dribble to, to get a paint touch with both feet, even if he's passing, um, you notice him uh, when he's on the court. And I think that's one of the most valuable things he brings to this team. Uh, just someone who's always engaged and you can see the, the kind of gears turning without thinking. And, and Oh, by the way, only at Kansas basketball is playing without thinking a compliment. Um, but that's, that's what Bryce Thompson does. He is not, you know, maybe he is a thinker from a perspective of caring, and wanting to do the right things, but he's not a thinker from, uh, you know, the the perspective of letting that impede his play at all. Did you and I just coin a new basketball phrase, noticeability? I kind of like it. Did I say that too? No, you didn't say it. You didn't say that exact phrase, but I just thought of it as you were sort of making that, uh, that case for Bryce Thompson compared to what I said about Tristan and Aruna. Tristan and Aruna lacks noticeability, Bryce Thompson has noticeability in spades. I think it's great. I don't know what it means, yeah, but I love it. Would you scale that? Here's the thing. Uh, to make it a thing, we have to scale it on like either 1 to 10 or A to S. I actually think it lends itself more to a grade scale. Mm, I like that too. So like I would give Bryce Thompson a B plus in noticeability. I would give Tristan and Aruna a C minus in noticeability. A C minus is really generous. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean... At D, at that point, you're almost failing, but I guess, we're again, we're just giving, in terms of noticeability, you're right. Probably closer to a D for Tristan and Aruna, but I think B-plus is a fair grade for Bryce Thompson. Like, like yeah, David I, McCormick I, is A-plus. David McCormick <laughs> is A-plus noticeability. Would you agree with that? Uh, well, yes, he, he is, obviously. I'm now realizing noticeability it's almost better to be closer to a C than it is to be on one of the poles in either direction. Because like what you're saying about Dave McCormick is true, but that's also indicative of sometimes him playing poorly. That, that is a really funny observation because even a guy like Marcus Garrett, Marcus Garrett's noticeability is not an A plus. Uh, and I think that's to his benefit because sometimes he does so many little things that you don't even notice. I think you're right. I think we're onto something here. I'm going to start charting it. I'm going to do a noticeability chart for this game on Saturday and see if I can find any correlations between what you just said. If you can sort of mainline or just get right there in the, in the happy medium of noticeability, if there's a correlation between that and positive play. And uh, hopefully I have some, some data to report back to you with next week. <laughs> yeah, I'm on board. Hey, safe travels to Indianapolis, my friend. Thank you so much for the time. Thanks for having me. All right, that is Scott Chasen, fog.net, 247sports.com. I'm Nick Schwartz, and that's actually going to do it, not just for Rock Chalk Sports Talk today, but Rock Chalk Sports Talk this week. I promise we have a good excuse for not being on the air for the next two hours and then not on the air at all tomorrow. It's because we're bringing you Westwood One NCAA tournament coverage, starting like right now with the first four 
all day tomorrow. We are your hub for the first and second rounds for all of the NCAA tournament games. But for this weekend and Monday, we've got you covered. Thanks to Scott. Thanks to you for tuning in. I am Nick Schwartz. Have a great week. Best weekend of the sports calendar. So sit back, relax, and enjoy it. And we'll see you on Monday.